0: Hello, I'm Oliver Culling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, we're a safe space for those who want to look back with affection to growing up as a child in the UK during the 1970s and the key role that television played in our and our families' lives back then. It was a time of change as the UK started to wake up to the fact that we were no longer top dog in the world and that our industrial heritage was in decline for me and my friends, it was a time for playing out, for learning new things at school, and of course, for sitting down in front of our radio rentals television set to watch whatever limited entertainment was on offer on the three TV channels we had available. Thank you so much to everyone who's been in touch recently. I can't begin to name you all, but we'll mention a few of the messages I've had. Thanks to Mike in Newcastle who not only listened to our Likely lad's edition, but listened to it, sat outside the school where Ian Lafrenet went whilst waiting to pick up his daughter. Mike, and I'm very impressed with this, also lived two streets away from where Bob and Thelma's house was in the series. As I say, I can't begin to say how impressed I am. I was also equally impressed to hear from Chaz in Tasmania, who's been listening to us whilst weeding his in-laws' garden. I hope we've made the weeding fly by, Chaz. If you want to share your thoughts on what we've featured in any of our shows so far, you can do so by visiting our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com Leave a comment on our Facebook page at My 70s TV Childhood, tweet at 70s TV Childhood, or you can email me, Oliver, at my70stvchildhood.com Now, when I was growing up, the police were seen a bit differently than I think they are today. We touched on this previously in our Watching the Detectives edition. But for most children, when I was growing up, the mere sight of a Bobby on the Beat was enough to cause a huge sense of guilt that we were about to be arrested or sent to prison. In the village where I grew up as a very small child and then went to school, we had a police station with a number of officers whom everyone in the village knew and could say hello to. And we also had regular visits at school from what I suppose were the 1970s equivalent of community police officers, although they tended to be either trying to persuade us to join the Tufty Club, or showing us horrific public information films, which convinced most of us that if we ever got within touching distance of a railway track, a building site or a farm, we would almost certainly meet a dramatic and extremely violent death. Our episode, That Was a Public Information Film, looks at this in a bit more detail, but you get the idea. Scaring the life out of small children by showing the various ways they could be killed was a huge government campaign whose results still affect me deeply, even though I'm now aged 55. Anyway, I think it's fair to say that there was a general respect for law and order, And the idea of anyone getting into trouble with the police was not one we even thought about. Perhaps I'm being a bit nostalgic here, but from what I hear about the sorts of educational talks they get at primary schools today on subjects like drug use, domestic abuse and and sex, I think we seem to have been brought up on a different planet. If getting into trouble was something most of us found difficult to imagine then going to prison was something even more out of our experience. I had a bit of a view of this through my parents. My mother was a magistrate and sat in the court in Warrington every week or two. As a small child with a big imagination, I thought this meant she was more like a judge banging a gavel and sending murderers to prison, when I think the reality was a bit more mundane. Most of the cases she heard were traffic offences or minor disorders, And when when what we might call real villains appeared in front of her, her job was to remand them in custody before they went for trial at the Crown Court. Some of you will get that. And when they were remanded, they went to Risley Remand Centre, which was notorious throughout the north of England as being a really terrible place. Actually, I've just remembered and reminded of the time my mother had Stan Boardman, the Scouse comedian, although I use that term rather loosely, up in court on a speeding charge. Boardman didn't attend in person, but sent a letter in his defence which was read out to the court and said things like, Mr Boardman didn't realise that the speed limit had changed from 50 to 30 and was really sorry that he'd missed that and, of course, he needed to drive to do all this wonderful work he does for charity, etc, etc. Um, And at the end of the letter, he'd added, P.S. The Germans have bombed our chippy. Which, for those listening who are not familiar with The Great Man's Works, was one of his catchphrases. Apparently there was a bit of laughter in the courtroom and on the magistrate's bench before my mother just cut in and said, £40 fine and three points. The other exposure to criminal activity I had was after our family had moved into the centre of Warrington, and our house, the the rectory, was regularly broken into. As regular listeners may recall, my father was a Church of England priest. Obviously, that's why we lived in a rectory. Well, anyway, on one occasion, one of the many burglars uh, turned up at a coffee morning at the rectory, having served some time in prison, and sat amongst the mainly older ladies who were attending, looking around quite nonchalantly and declaring to them, I did this place once, you know which obviously scared the hell out of the old ladies, but was incredibly exciting for an eight-year-old boy with a big imagination. I digress, as normal. So, so generally, prison was not a nice place, and certainly not one which should be taken lightly. So it was all the more remarkable that Ian LaFrenet and Dick Clement chose to set their next sitcom after whatever happened to the likely lads in a prison. And even more remarkably... It was to become one of the most popular, enduring situation comedies ever shown on British television. The opening sequence to Porridge hit UK TV screens in 1974, following an earlier pilot episode. The clanging shut of the prison doors and the noise of chains and bolts and bars being put into place left us in no doubt that prison was not a good place. Norman Stanley Fletcher, played by Ronnie Barker, an habitual criminal, as the opening sequence said, finds himself back behind bars for another stretch but also finds himself becoming a sort of father-like figure to a young convict, Lenny Godber, played by Richard Beckinsale, facing his first experience of prison with a mix of youthful bravado and a realistic fear of what might happen to him. So why has the show become one of the most loved comedies of all time? I think there are a few reasons, and as in a number of other shows that we've looked at, The whole situation of the situation comedy was key to this. Lots of men, and they were virtually all men in the series, were thrown together in an enclosed environment and had to make the best of it, whether as prisoners trying to get through their sentences with their heads down whilst trying to undermine the prison regime, or equally the prison officers, themselves trapped in this place trying to keep the system going. The writing of Clement and Lafrenet was brilliant, as always, but what I think lifted the show even more was the incredible ensemble acting of a very talented cast. Ronnie Barker was, let's face it, brilliant in just about every TV show he was ever in. And the young Richard Beckinsale provided a perfect foil to Barker's prison-savvy old lag. From the very first episode, they had a natural empathy and great comic timing – such as when they were first being processed once they'd arrived at the fictional H.M. Prison Slade, somewhere in Cumberland. that hey. is... <laughs> so this is Colditz. <laughs> Colditz? You are joking, did not you? Compared with this place, Colditz with a doddle, mate. Load of public schoolboys all digging little tunnels and playing leapfrog over each other, combing around. Oh, this is a nick. You heard what he said, didn't you? You heard what he said, didn't you? Slopping up. Huh? Exercise, work, tea, exercise, work, slop out, lights out. Any questions? Lights go out at 7.45 here, you know, 7.45. Rather cold it's running by that time. They're all brewing up the cocoa and starting the pillow fights, aren't they? <laughs> the other supporting characters were equally memorable, none more so than Fulton Mackay, as the hard as nails, probably borderline psychotic Scottish chief warder, Mr Mackay, whose clipped orders and sardonic put-downs put most of the prisoners in their place apart from Fletcher, of course, who was always trying to find a way to get at Mackay. But not all the staff were so hard on their charges. Mr Barraclough, played by Brian Wilde, was forever trying to see the best in the prisoners and to support them in terms of bettering themselves ahead of release and potential rehabilitation. Needless to say, most of the prisoners saw his benevolence as some kind of weakness and exploited his kindness towards them for their own benefit which always seemed to be a bit cruel to me, but I'm sure reflected some of the animal instincts which men need to have when they're incarcerated. Now, I've never been in prison, other than when I was a student to play rugby against the inmates of Franklin Maximum Security Prison in County Durham, but that's another story. However, the depiction of prison life in Porridge was utterly convincing and authentic to the average viewer. It's also trapped in a moment of time and place, which is another reason why its popularity has endured. The references to unseen events in the outside world only serve to underline the hopelessness of the inmates, away from family and loved ones, lonely, angry and always on their guard against trouble. Apparently Clement and Lefrenet got much of their inspiration for the finer details of prison life from an ex-con, Jonathan Marshall who had written a book called How to Survive in the Nick. And he advised them well, as all the little touches of prison routine, slang, and the pattern of daily life reinforced the realism of the setting and made the humour found in despair all the more poignant. Of course, not all of the reality of prison life could be translated to a primetime BBC comedy series, so some of the nastier side of prison life remained darkly hinted at but unseen. And there was also the language used. Clearly, the more colourful swear words couldn't be used. So the cast used words like naff as swear words, as in naffolf, and nurk as opposed to burk, and of course the famous scrote to describe someone, well, he's not very nice. There were only ever 20 episodes of Porridge, and I think they have been pretty much all repeated at regular intervals, since they first screened in the mid-1970s. Once again, the supporting cast was so strong that many of those characters who appeared briefly are remembered as though they were in every episode. For example, Mr Grout, or Grouty, the menacing gangster, who appeared to run most activity in the prison and was played brilliantly by Peter Vaughan, only actually appears in three episodes, all of which are very memorable. Similarly, the young David Jason appears as the elderly convict Blanco, again in only three episodes, but was joined by a whole host of great British character actors who moved in and out of the action, including the likes of Brian Glover, Sam Kelly, Christopher Biggins and Tony Asoba. Now, what were your favourite episodes? Because for me, there are a few which stand out. An early episode is a simple double-hander between Fletcher and Godber, locked in their cell at night. The night passes with Godber chatty, missing his fiancée, afraid and leaning upon the older man for advice. The hardened old lag opens up and shows us a softer side, giving us a taste of what is to come in future episodes. But the whole night also shows us the privations and irritations of prison. The sounds of keys indoors, coughing from another cell, and what happens if your cellmate snores. The almost claustrophobic atmosphere in the locked cell leaps off the screen and really makes the viewer think about the realities of prison. And then, once some rest is finally granted, it's mere moments before the key in the cell door turns and the grind of the repetitive prison day begins again. But it wasn't all quiet reflections and double headers. I particularly remember two of the episodes featuring old Blanco. In the first, Fletcher's confined to the prison hospital along with Blanco and a nasty con called Norris. Norris has, apparently, previously conned Blanco out of his only possessions, including, I seem to remember, a silver snuffbox. Anyway, Norris is about to be released, so Fletcher arranges a trade. Blanco's possessions, in return for a treasure map, showing where Blanco had buried some loot from a previous crime. Upon his release, Norris goes in search of the treasure, while Blanco and Fletch listen to the radio news the next day. And the other episode which sticks in my memory is the one where Blanco is due to be released on parole, having served decades for a crime he swears he didn't commit. Fletch, once again showing a human side, feels sorry for the old man, so organises a committee to campaign for a pardon for Blanco. And, after mobilising the entire prison population, he finally succeeds, and a very grateful Blanco is pardoned and gets ready to face the outside world after nearly 30 years inside. Here, here, come here. here. Listen, we all know that you didn't kill your old lady, see? Which means that some other bloke did. And you've paid the penance for it, right? But I don't want you going out there harbouring any sort of revenge, alright? No. I know him what did it. It was a wife's lover. <laughs> but don't worry, I shan't go round searching for him. He died years ago. Well, that's alright. That I do know. It were me that killed him. And on top of that, there are so many more I could mention. I'm sure you all have your favourites. Like Godber's boxing match, where Mr Grout tries to fix the result via Fletcher, who hasn't realised that another prison big shot has already bribed Godber to lose. I'm sure you remember what happened as a result. And I also remember uh, one episode that just revolved around a stolen tin of pineapple chunks, sort of highlighting the, the small nature of important things within that prison lifestyle. Like whatever ever happened to the likely lads, Dick Clement and Ian LaFronne managed to create believable characters, a convincing setting and brilliant storylines ranging from genuine pathos to real laugh-out-loud comedy genius. In the final episode of Porridge, Fletcher sacrifices his own remission to take the blame for an incident which would have led to Gobber losing his parole. In a final father-like gesture, the old lag gives up his own freedom to help the young man who he's nurtured and protected during his first time in prison. And then what? Well, eventually Norman Stanley Fletcher did get released. And so what happened next? I'm going straight. Going Straight originally ran for six episodes between February and April 1978 and, other than periodic shows on UK Gold, has hardly been seen on our screens since. The premise was promising enough. Fletcher, released from HMP Slade, tries to get on with his life and is determined to go straight and break the cycle of prison sentences that he has been in for all of his life. So why has this show been forgotten by so many? I've got a few ideas. Firstly, the whole success of Porridge was down to its limited enclosed stage, as we mentioned earlier. Taking Fletcher and Lenny Godber out of that environment dilutes the power of the intense relationship between the two men in prison. Godber is now going out with Fletcher's daughter Ingrid, played by Patricia Brake, and instead of a happy family reunion the returning convict finds out that his wife has left him for another man and as well as his daughter Ingrid, he has to deal with his useless son Raymond, played by Nicholas Lyndhurst. All in all, not a recipe for a barrel of laughs. I think that the quality of writing in Going Straight is marvellous, but it is extremely poignant and shows the bullish, cocksure Fletcher of Slade Prison exposed as a powerless paper tiger of a man, struggling to come to terms with the world which has changed since he's been inside. So far fewer laughs, but a huge amount of emotional intensity, which Ronnie Barker plays magnificently. Like so many newly released prisoners, he is tested by events, by old criminal acquaintances, and by the humiliations of life as an ex-con, having to detail his life to his probation officer. Some of the storylines bring tears to the eyes. I remember in one episode, Fletcher befriends a young girl who looks to be slipping into a life of crime after running away from home. He takes her back to his home and gives her a meal. But then she disappears, stealing Ingrid's purse, leaving Fletcher heartbroken. Although he's visibly moved when the girl comes back and returns the purse. Although subsequently he discovers that she's taken his wallet. The final episode of the show features Godber and Ingrid's wedding. Fletch feels humiliated as his ex wife and her new boyfriend are paying for the ceremony, which he, as an old school man, feels is his responsibility. As it happens, a chance meeting sets him up as a lookout for a robbery where he could potentially earn £500. But before the robbery takes place, he finds himself in a pet shop and seeing all of the animals trapped in cages, he's reminded of his prison days and he decides to change his mind and go to the wedding instead. He doesn't want to be in a cage ever again. Real heart-rending stuff. Going Straight was a classic series, much underrated in my opinion. For those wanting to see an extension of porridge, this wasn't it. It was a study in human weakness and frailty and a moving portrayal of a fish out of water by Ronnie Barker as an ex-con who wanted to go straight but couldn't find his place in the outside world. Prison and his pursuit against Mackay and the others, looking for little victories, gave him a purpose he was sadly lacking out in the real world. The series attracted high viewing figures when it was first shown and a second series was commissioned but the tragic sudden death of Richard Beckinsale meant that it was never made. Porridge did have a final outing when, as happened with most other sitcoms, it was given the big screen treatment and made into, I suppose, a passable feature film. But the story of Norman Stanley Fletcher ended with Beckinsale's death. Time hasn't been kind to going straight but personally, I think it's right up there with the best of Clement and Le as well as providing a tour de force from Ronnie Barker. If you haven't seen it, or you don't remember much about it, try and catch it on UK Gold, especially if you're a fan of the porridge repeats on BBC2. You may be surprised by what you see. that's about all we have time for for this episode you can leave us comments on porridge going straight or anything else we've featured in the podcast on our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com comment on facebook at my 70s tv childhood email me oliver at my 70s tv childhood or you can tweet at 70s tv childhood well take care and join us again soon for more from my 70s to childhood